1: Hey everyone, welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host Eric, alongside with expert analyst Rod. Thanks for joining us on the Best MSU Basketball Podcast featuring in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey, everybody. It's Eric alongside Rod. We're here to talk about the first round of the NCAA tournament when Michigan State, number seven, takes on number 10 seed, University of Southern California, the Trojans, who are the future Big Ten opponents, but not at this point. They're still in the Pac-12. Uh, they'll be playing in Columbus on Friday afternoon at noon. And uh, before we begin, just want to remind you that if you want to support the show, we appreciate it. There are all kinds of extra features we add all the time, and it helps us to take, take care of all those things and get them done. So if you want to do that, go head on over to tffinots.com slash support. You can do one-time gifts via PayPal or Venmo or much, uh, recurring monthly donation through Patreon. So let's talk about USC. The Trojans are 22-10 and 10 overall. They're 14-6 and 6 in the Pac-12. Like Michigan State, they were wiped out in the first uh, the quarterfinal in the, their conference tournament. They lost to Arizona State. They're 36 in Kempom. And by comparison, Michigan State is 32nd. The Trojans are a pretty balanced squad. They, In terms of the offense and defense, they're 43rd rated offense and 48th rated defense. Uh, by comparison, Michigan State is 41st in offense and 40th in defense. On offense, USC's biggest strength is the ability to get to the foul line and convert when they're there. They're 100th in free throw attempts per field goal attempt. They're 97th in free throw scoring and 83rd in free throw percentage. They're 151st in three-point percentage at 34.5% and 133rd in two-point percentage. They don't hang it the ball very well. They turn over quite a bit. They're number 174th in turnover percentage. They're pretty bad offensive rebounding team at 162nd. They do fl- play at a faster tempo than Michigan State, but that's about every team in the country. They play at a pace of 140 where Michigan State is 304th. Well, wow, I didn't realize Michigan State has, it was that low at this point. Uh, they don't shoot a ton of threes. They're 300th in three-point f- uh, field goals per uh, field goal attempt. And uh, Michigan State's about the same, at 297. And they're middle of pack in number of assisted baskets at 147th. Uh, on, in contrast, Michigan State's 33rd, which is pretty typical of a U- uh, Tom Izzo team. Well, I guess I'll stop there before I go through more stuff.
0: Before we talk about the yeah. defense. Yeah, um, so we'll talk about what the implications of this is. USC, I I would not say that they are, um, let's put it this way. They're not a poor passing team, but they're not a great one. And offensively, they don't rely as much as Michigan State does on ball movement to generate offense. They have guys particularly... Boogie Ellis, their lead guard, I won't call him a point guard, who are capable of getting their own shots and actually look to do that, much more so than Michigan State. They will break off plays and kind of devolve into one on one activity, not just Ellis, even really, all their guys will do it at times. Um, They're perimeter guys, at least. Uh, So, what you will see with USC is it's, it doesn't manifest in exactly the same way, but uh, it kind of reminds me in a general sense of how you feel playing against uh, uh, Tominaga or, um, or Andrew Funk. Some of these guys in the Big Ten that we've seen where they take shots that just seem out of rhythm and and don't feel as if they're good shots and yet they'll take them and make them. Um, This team doesn't just do that from three. They can do that from anywhere, and Ellis in particular is a good shooter, so he's really good at hitting shots, those no, 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 yes (laughs) kind of shots. So I just want to warn people of that in advance. When you're watching this team, they're likely going to do some stuff that doesn't feel smart, but they've made enough of those shots that they're competitive, even having, having done that. All that said, um, this is not a great offensive team. You mentioned the overall numbers. And then when you drill down, really the only thing that you could say they do better than in a mediocre fashion is at the foul line. Yeah. They generate a decent, and not elite, but they, it's, not, it's not Maryland, but... <laughs> They generate a decent number of foul shots. They shoot it very well from the line. So when they get there, they cash in. Um, so that's, and again, it goes along with what I was talking about, right? The the tendency to break plays off and just yeah. kind of square a defender up and go one-on-one. And they've got good athletes. They, their team is an athletic one. Not not like super, super athletic, but better than average, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So all that tracks they're not a horrendous three-point shooting team but they're not great and they don't take a lot of them as you mentioned they actually take slightly fewer than msu does and msu is not a team that takes a ton of um they're just much 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 more efficient than usc is when they do um but yeah it's not it's not a team that scares you offensively in terms of any one thing that they do, like if you're facing Michigan state, well, you're terrified of what they do from three. Sure. Right. Yeah. USC doesn't have any component of their team offensively that, that leaps out at you in that way. And when you watch them play, really, the the one thing that scares you is that they do have a couple of guys in Boogie Yellis and in Drew Peterson, who, seem to have the capability on a given night of just going on a run, just getting hot. They might hit some bad shots, you know, and they just get rolling. And because they have the ability to get their own shot, it can kind of snowball a little bit. That's the biggest thing I take away from USC offensively is in terms of what to what to be worried about is that.
1: Would you say that they are a a straight line attacking team like, uh, you know, I feel like Michigan State's had some difficulty with, you know, Aaron Uless in in East Lansing. You know, he just he torched Michigan State's guards. You have you've had, you know, other teams like Northwestern who've been able to attack at the rim pretty effectively, basically taking people one on one and getting into the gaps and stuff. Is is that the kind of team they are? They just kind of team that just will sort of go one on one, but they're going to pull for 10, 12 footers, you know, even they're contested.
0: Yeah, they can do that, and and that would be the concern. I think Michigan State has to be much much more connected defensively than um, than we've seen in recent weeks. Okay, that, that's definitely true, uh, because this is a group that, again, as I said, they're not. This is they're not Michigan State. They're not Iowa. They're not. They're not a team. That's going to be large where their success is going to be largely dependent on, wow, that's really impressive ball movement. Yeah. They're capable. I've seen segments of games where Peterson, especially is a really good and kind of intuitive playmaker and he's six nine. So that helps, but, um, you know, they can move the ball, but it's, it's much less of that than, than we're used to seeing from Michigan state, let's say, and much more, relying upon individual guys and their ability to go make a play yeah and so when you've got guys like that yeah you have to be concerned if you're not containing the dribble effectively that could be a problem
1: sure well then on defense usc is again pretty good uh they're very good against twos they're number two in the country they partly because they block so many shots they're number 12 in the country in shot blocking but they're below middle of the pack in three point attempts against them at 186 and three point percentage at 137 and they're not a good defensive rebounding team at 328 they're almost one of the worst teams in the country yeah and not really good at creating turnovers at 176 so defensively you know, they're kind of elite inside the arc and then everywhere else they're not so good like i and i think you know you anytime you see a team that's really good at shot blocking it's i think it's probably not surprising that they're not as good Defensive rebounding team, which is, I think, part of the reason yes. that Michigan State was not as good last year because Bingham was a shot blocker, and he was probably when they needed because he was one of the you know their size well, they needed to to clean up the boards.
0: It's it's true, but I, I will say there's there's more of an emphasis on shot blocking now than there used to be, and I think that's across the board because that's the way the game has evolved. Um, it's evolved that way because. Um, the emphasis on freedom of movement made it easier to penetrate, you know, or put more of a premium on it. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, it's also evolved that way as the reliance upon analytics has dictated. We talk about this sometimes that the only good shots are threes or at the rim. Mm -hmm. So you've got more guys trying to take it all the way rather than pulling up and shooting a 12 footer. Um, so even Michigan State, I would say Michigan State started to evolve defensively in that, in that direction maybe about mm, eight, 10 years ago. So when, you, when they started to bring guys, you know, Matt Costello was a pretty good shot blocker, but then it really took off when, you know, they had Deontay Davis and right. then Jaron Jackson after that, and you've seen much more of an emphasis than there used to be. Michigan State for a long time was a team that was way at the bottom in shot blocking. And it was something Tom Izzo didn't care about. Just was not the way he chose to play. Part of it is because of what you're talking about. You can easily get yourself out of position in terms of the defensive glass when you're hunting shot blocks. And that's changed. But I still think, you know, if you flash back to the the year, Jaron Jackson was here, Michigan State in large part because of him was an elite shot blocking team, one of the best in the country but they were also a decent defensive rebounding team. I don't think it hurt them as much. It's possible to balance those interests, but in USC's case, that has clearly not happened. Mm -hmm. Now, it was interesting. Somebody on the Spartan MAG board today posted, and I was not familiar with this individual, apparently somebody who does fairly lengthy game previews all during the course of the season, and this guy had a preview on the Michigan State-USC game. And I read the preview, and it just was completely at odds with what I had (laughs) seen. Because I've actually seen USC play a few times, and I actually watched extended highlights of a few more games since the draw. Mm -hmm. And, And specifically, what it was talking, it claimed USC's base defensive approach was a hard hedge where they try to push ball handlers and pick and roll to the sidelines and keep them out of the middle which that description sounds a lot like texas tech what's called ice uh, right exactly icing ball screens mm-hmm. i didn't see that at all ever <laughs> what i saw from usc was extreme drop coverage and so i thought well i posted this i said i gotta go check and watch it again to make sure i'm not losing my mind <laughs> and i went back and looked and sure enough now i will say I watched it on that occasion, which was this afternoon. I watched some clips of a game I had not seen previously, which was UCLA, where USC had them at home. And there were a couple of possessions where their center hedged, which I had not really noticed before. But still, by and large, it was drop coverage. I'm like, no, this guy's just wrong. Mm-hmm. So, what I have seen from USC is they play drop coverage, and they really are, whether whether they're, um, everybody's in the lane. Whether they're strictly playing a pack line, I guess you could quibble with And Just so if all our listeners, I'm sure some of our listeners know what I'm talking about. Pack line defense is something that Dick Bennett, the former Wisconsin Green Bay, then Wisconsin head coach, kind of, I'm not even sure if he invented it, but he certainly was the first guy to popularize Mm -hmm. it. And then his son, Tony Bennett, really brought it to major prominence, the success he's had with it at Washington State and then Virginia. Um, And what pack line means is, I'm being very simplistic about it, is that most of your defenders tend to have a foot in or very near the lane. So the idea is we're going to take away twos. We're going to make sure that any two-point attempt you take is going to be extremely well-contested because that's controllable. That's the theory. If we put enough bodies inside the line, you're going to shoot a low percentage because all our defenders are in there. You're just not ever going to get clean looks. And we'll live with what you do from deep. You'll have opportunities to shoot threes, but we'll live with it. Mm-hmm. Um, USC, if you, you mentioned, they're a bit below average in terms of the number of threes they give up, and they're average in terms of the percentage team shoot from three. Well, that's what you would expect to see, sure, from a team that plays stylistically the way they do. Um, in pick and roll, the fact that they frequent—I I won't say exclusively, but from what I've observed—frequently. Play drop coverage what happens there is well as we've seen with a lot of teams michigan state has faced in the big 10 you can get mid-range jumpers now i think it's going to be interesting in a couple from a couple different perspectives one is you're going to have to make the right decisions if you're aj hogard and anybody else who's in ball screen tyson walker too yeah uh, and Jade nakens but primarily AJ. The other thing is, I am wondering whether, and this gets into what USC does offensively as well. Um, might this be a game where Michigan State can really benefit from using the small ball lineup more frequently than they typically have? Mm-hmm. Because if USC is going to have their center Morgan in drop coverage consistently, the the pick guy, the big man, if you're using Joey, let's say, or Malik, either one is going to have open shots in pick and roll. They're going to be there. And so might this be because Morgan at the other end, unlike so many of the centers we've seen in the Big Ten, is not really an offensive presence. So maybe you're not as worried about Malik or Joey having to guard this 6'11 guy because they don't run offense through him. So you're not paying a price for going small there. You're probably not paying a price on the boards because USC is a bad rebounding team. Where's the downside? Yeah. You know, it's a thought that's occurred to me. I think it's one thing among many to keep in mind in this game. Might that be a tweak that Michigan state employs, um, to take advantage of some things that USC chooses to give up. Um, obviously if you're a Michigan state fan, you like the idea of playing a team that has not shown a real propensity (laughs) for running teams off the line. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Now the flip side of this is, Andy Enfield, their, their coach is not a dope. (laughs) He's, He's been to a bunch of tournaments at USC. He took them to the Elite Eight two years ago in the COVID year when they had Evan Mobley. Um, he had success. His initial success was when he had um, uh, Florida Gulf Coast and uh, Dunk, Dunk U. City.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, Dunk City. Sorry. I'm turning into Brad Underwood. <laughs> um, Dunk City. And, uh, and so he's a capable coach. He knows what Michigan State does well. And so might he tweak what USC does, try to pressure Michigan State more on the perimeter, change it up, maybe play more hard hedge in pick and roll? Um, It's possible. But I've got to look at what USC has done on balance and assume that they're probably not going to change it up tremendously. But it's always possible. So, but we will talk about this from the perspective of what does the body of work suggest they will do.
1: Well, and also, you know, anytime you do something that's not what you do, you're probably not going to do it very well because it's not what you practice. Can you execute Yeah, right. I mean, that's. Right.
0: Yeah, that's right. It's only a few days. You know, they basically had you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I'm sure they're traveling on Wednesday, probably, no later yeah. than Thursday, maybe even Wednesday. Yeah. yeah. Maybe Wednesday. Um, that's not a lot of, not a lot of days for practice. Um, so, gen- so generally
1: when we talk about the drop coverage, you know, the classic one is Hunter Dickinson, right? Where you've Hunter Dickinson, cause he can't yeah. defend on the perimeter. He can't move well enough. And so you want to protect him by having him down low. Is that the same situation with USC is is Morgan, is he just Kind of slow. No, because he sounds like an athletic guy. So I I wonder—is it just maybe just stylistically? That's just how they play.
0: Yeah, and there and it may be that even look. I mean, we've seen this in Michigan State. There are guys who theoretically have the athletic ability. I mean, Julius Marble is not a bad athlete, right? But he could just never get it together right right as a pick and roll defender <laughs> it may have more to do with that but no morgan is not limited he's a big kid but he's not a big 10 style just behemoth you know he's like 6'11, 230 so he's and and he's reasonably athletic from what i can what i've seen so um yeah it's not that
1: okay well let's go into the starters for the teams and the starters are brought to you by Brothers that just do gutters. So make sure if you have gutter issues or if you aren't sure if you have gutter issues, walk around your house. I know there's some, depends where you live. I've got some snow at my house but probably on your side of the state there's not a lot of snow. But walk around your house, make sure you don't have big puddles, you have things growing in your gutters like me, like a tree or something like that. Or if you're tired of cleaning leaves out of your gutters, take a look at things. And if you wanted someone to come by and take a look and fix them or maybe decide to tell you if there's a problem, Kurt and his team are great people. They're honest, professional, fully insured. They do great work. They're all located in the West Michigan area. So if you're the, sort of the Grand Rapids area, uh, out to Holland, down to Saugatuck, up to Rockford, out to Lowell. If you're in the area, you know where those towns are. And so basically, if you're around here, 10% off if you mentioned Final Four, you can contact Kurt at K-U-R-T dot S-T-A-U-F-F-E-R at Brothers Gutters. They just do gutters. They don't do anything else. And so they specialize in that and they have do a great job and um, you won't be sorry because they will take care of whatever the problems you have they can clean things out they can repair it or they can replace it so when we go through the starters the first one is you mentioned earlier is boogie ellis uh, he's a 6-3 senior lead guard as you pointed out not actually point guard he originally was going to duke but uh, got recruited over and so he decumented and ended up at memphis played a couple two years there then he uh, went back to california because he's originally from san diego and has been at Southern Cal since. He's uh, decided this is his last season, so he's not going to take the COVID year. And he is uh, leading the team in scoring at 18 points a game on 44, 39, and 81 shooting. And He shoots the most threes, and as you mentioned before, he's the guy who really, he's looking for a shot all the time.
0: Yeah, and and he's he's an aggressive player. He's become a more efficient player this year. Those shooting percentages are very solid. So I mentioned when you watch him play, he will have a fair number of no, no, yes" moments. And you know, that that's, um, that cuts both ways, because when you I still believe, even if a guy has proven a capability of hitting a decent number of, quote, unquote, "bad shots, I still think that can kill you in a one game scenario, you happen to run into the game when you're just not hitting and, uh, and you're forcing up bad looks. That's, you know, that's potentially a problem, but he's a talented kid. There's no doubt about that. He was highly regarded in high school. Uh, he's had a very, very good senior year. He's their leading scorer. Um, and he's a guy that Michigan state's going to have to going to have to guard effectively to win this game. They're going to want to make him, uh, be as inefficient as possible. And he's, even though I call him a lead guard, it's not that he's terribly, terribly bad with the ball. Um, he, uh, he does have a positive assist to turnover ratio. It's just, he's not a guy who looks first and foremost to, um, to distribute the basketball yeah, he's a score he's first, looking then to pass. score yeah that's his mentality looking to score next is drew
1: peterson 69 uh, native of illinois he started his career at rice and transferred to usc in his third season he averages 14 points a game and is the top rebounder on the team at 6.2 a game and the assist man at 4.4 a game and so he has a positive assist turnover ratio uh uh, and then he shoots forty four, thirty six, and seventy five, and so he's the next yeah da- most dangerous, I suppose, threat from outside.
0: Yes, and and a guy who really is their primary playmaker. And as you said, he's also a leading rebounder. So he's he's an interesting player. Um, six nine. You know, I don't. Yeah, I don't know that there's anybody in the Big Ten quite like him. I would say the guy who's close, maybe he's a little bit of a mix of Pickett and Sam Greasel, maybe. Except he's bigger than either of those guys. I mean, Greasel's maybe six seven. This kid's six nine, so he's even bigger still. Uh, it's it's going to be an interesting matchup. Um, you know, whoever is guarding him from Michigan State is going to be giving up size. Uh, and he is a guy who's, I wouldn't describe him as a, a guy who is as effective as a post player, let's say, as, um, as Pickett is, for example. But uh, he is capable of doing some of that. So my gut would tell me that Hogard probably starts on him. Mm-hmm. Um, but USC is going to run a lot through him. He's a playmaker, obviously a capable enough shooter. You got to worry about him there. Uh, He's just a big part of what they do. Here's the caveat. He had a back injury. And he missed a game. And then he played against Arizona State in the Pac-12 tournament. But he really struggled. He was 2-for-12 from the floor in that game. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's and back injuries, which, you know, by the way, Malik Hall has had a bulky back. So it cuts on both sides of this back injuries are, are tough because you just never know. But I think in, in his case, it's a big concern for USC, a very big concern because so much of their, whatever bit of their offense has to do with ball movement. A lot of it rests on him to be the initiator, the facilitator, the creator, you know? And if he's not right, that takes a lot away.
1: Well, you know, as you know, with back injuries, it, they are the kind of injury that it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. And all of a sudden you tweak something and it's not fine at all. And then suddenly you're you're hampered for a couple days and then it's fine again. And you keep re injuring, whatever it is, or get a muscle spasm. Yep. Next would be Trey white, six, seven freshman from Dallas, Texas, averaging 9.1 points a game on 48, 27 and 67 shooting along with 5.1 rebounds a game. He's an athlete, Uh, which obviously he just is working on improving his shooting this year.
0: Yeah, and I think that's, you know, in the long run, I would think they'd expect that he continues to improve as a perimeter shooter. But, uh, you know, USC's got a few of these guys. This is a – it's interesting because it doesn't show up at all on the boards. But this is a big team. I mean, when you look at them, Elvis is like 6'3", but you got Peterson at 6'9", Uh, this kid is six, seven. They've got, you know, the center is 611 They're, they're long among these perimeter guys, you know? Yeah. And so we'll see if that shows up in this game. One thing I've thought about is if they were to decide to vary what they do a little bit and focus more on trying to run Michigan state off the line. Well, the fact that they start so much length could help. Sure. Uh, but it's not something they do regularly. So, are they able to execute it properly? Who knows. But anyway, they've got a few of these guys that you know just sort of not not masters of any particular trade, but they do a bunch of things solidly, decently. And he's one
1: of them. Yeah. They, looking at their size, I mean, they, they kind of remind me a little bit of Illinois. You know, just really a big, big team, yes. a lot of length.
0: Yes. Yep, that's a good comparison in that sense, yes.
1: Uh, next to be Kobe Johnson, 6'6", sophomore from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. He's averaging 9 points a game uh, and 4.9 rebounds a game, shooting 47, 35, and 84. And uh, he's considered the best defender on the squad.
0: Yeah, one of the best in the Pac-12. Um, so he's the guy, you know, if there's one guy that you're going to look at as the stopper, for for usc and you know if let's say if um well i don't know it kind of you know there's so much versatility there these guys could guard anybody but let's just say jade nakins or tyson walker starts to get on a heater um he's the guy that might end up getting that assignment to cool somebody off and yet he's able to contribute offensively he's a decently efficient shooter um so you know um yeah, another another piece to the puzzle for USC.
1: And finally, Joshua Morgan, the 6'11", 235-pound junior, averaging 6.7 points a game and 57% from the floor and a measly 55% from the line.
0: Yeah, so that's one thing. You know, USC is a, a very good free-throw shooting team overall. He's the exception. So I guess that that might be something to think about in this game if it, it he's not a guy who gets there a lot because, again, they just don't run a lot of offense through him. Um, no range to speak of. I think he's 0 for 1 from 3 on the season, so I didn't even bother to note it. Um, but uh, the, the I'll go back to what I said a few minutes ago. One upside of this from the Michigan State perspective could be that because Morgan has not proven to be much of an offensive presence for them over the course of the year maybe that allows you if you're Michigan State to think about playing more small ball lineups and hoping that you can exploit mismatches that way of course one part of that is for the small ball lineup to mean anything (laughs) Malik Hall would have to be much better than he was against Ohio State and I think that you know again as I mentioned there's a there's a back issue that's kind of in play uh, with Malik, so you don't know where that's going to be. Now he's he's playing; that seems clear, but how effective he's going to be that might dictate how much Michigan State could do here. The other thing, too, is that, and we've seen this happen before. USC could just decide, oh, you're gonna you're gonna go small against us. We're gonna we're gonna actually feed the ball the more, right? Yeah, and and he could have a big game. You know, that's not been unheard of right with this msu team so you know
1: and morgan you know he averages two blocks a game so he's got to be the leading blocker and uh shot blocker and, oh, re- yeah. and rebounding 5.2 a game so that's those are the contributions that he brings to the team not as much the scoring and the offensive end
0: that's why he's there he's there anchoring that very very impressive two-point defense but again usc is also doing things schematically that enable them to be that efficient in that area you know they're making choices and the choice that they're, that they're making is we're going to pack it in to an extent we're going to make it con- as congested as possible on the in the post and we're going to live with you taking shots from range
1: right let's move to the reserves then we start with reese and waters six five sophomore Third-leading scorer on the team at a little under 10 points a game at 44, 29, and 78 shooting. He's averaging 25 minutes a game, so he really is almost starter minutes there. And uh, also, this, like you said, a versatile player.
0: This is a very thin bench. They We're going to mention a few guys, but what you have to keep in mind is from this point out, with one possible exception, um, they don't play people off their bench (laughs) it's it's a very starter heavy team so he is the guy he's the one guy that you got to think about if you're uh if you're michigan state off their bench that comes in and gives them a lot of production Uh, next would be vincent
1: iwuchukwu six one freshman came in with a lot of hype uh he's but he had a seven one don't say six yeah (laughs) sorry thanks yeah seven (laughs) No, he wouldn't be nearly as hyped if foot <laughs> <put> 6'1". <one>. Yeah. <laughs> so he's 7'1", uh, but he had a cardiac incident in the preseason, which led for him missing a couple months of the season. And um, he's played in 14 games, averaging 5.4 points a game on 51% from the floor, 79% from the line, grabs 2.5 rebounds a game, and blocks a shot per game in 14 minutes. Uh, and since he's a freshman, he will... Yeah, I guess we'll have him for a couple of years. I'll have to really get good at that name uh, as <laughs> when he's part of the Big Ten.
0: Um, the concern here is a back injury. Even though you mentioned the cardiac incident, which I'll get back to in a minute, he has not played their last couple games, and they have indicated that he's uh, questionable yeah. for this one. So if he doesn't play, that has a cascading effect some other guys might play a little bit more very hyped player a five-star recruit and usc we don't hear a lot about it because you don't hear a lot about usc basketball basically it will start to but generally speaking what the rest of the country hears about the pac 12 typically stops at arizona and ucla yeah, right. unless you're really a basketball diehard so what people may not be aware of is USC has had a little bit of a pipeline of this kind of player in recent years. The most notable is Mobley, Evan Mobley, who's uh, starring in the NBA now with the Cleveland Cavaliers, but he's not the only one. They've had a lot of these kind of guys, and this kid was the next in line. Five-star recruit, much anticipated, and then he has a cardiac uh, incident at, on campus. He was playing. And it was the actions, as I understand, it was the quick action by USC's training staff that really helped make that not as big a deal as it could have been, but what it meant was, uh, he had to go through a long period of being cleared. And so he lost the first two months of the season before he was okay to return to play. And then he has been pretty effective when he's played, but then the Mac injury pops up. So you just don't know if he's going to see the floor. If he does, he's, you can see the scoring almost six points a game in just about 13 minutes a game, but he's got offensive talent and he's very long. So I think he poses a defensive problem again in the post. Um, So you're going to have a problem converting twos if he's in there. Uh, so he can be effective and obviously there's the ceiling for him is sky high. He could be much, much better than even what we're talking about down the line. If he's able to put his health issues firmly behind him.
1: Yeah. Tough was a seven foot one guy to have back issues though. I got to imagine that's, uh, I don't know.
0: Yeah. The, these tend to, the two things are back issues and problems with the feet that you just seem to be chronic once they start happening. Next would be
1: Kajani Wright, 6'9, 235 pound freshman. Uh, he's uh, from Los Angeles and he was wanted to be recruited by the Spartans, but that <laughs> that he didn't really want to. Uh, but he was a McDonald's All American. Uh, but he's yeah, been not had not been off to a great start here in, in his freshman year. He's averaging two points a game and one point nine rebounds a game, shooting forty seven percent from the floor and sixty five percent from the line.
0: Yeah. He was an elite recruit. He was a McDonald's all American. As you said, he was a a top 20 guy. Some people had him top 10. And when his name popped up as having a Michigan state offer, it was strange because Michigan state doesn't typically recruit many guys out of California. That doesn't happen very much. That, That may change as we go forward. And these, USC and UCLA are part of the big 10 conference, but for, right. But for now, you know, that hasn't happened much and, you know, see some well, maybe there's a connection. There have been guys. Brandon McCoy was a guy a few years ago. They recruited, there have been guys, but it's been rare. So you're kind of asking around, you know, where's the connection. And, and it just, in the end, it seemed as if I, I don't think it was entirely disingenuous, but what, What people don't understand sometimes is that kids or the people around them, be it AAU programs or family members, what have you, will use a high-profile school to kind of legitimize a ranking or to hopefully gain continued interest, you know, continued coverage, all of these kinds of things. and. I think it was mostly that kind of scenario. Again, I'm not accusing him of doing that necessarily, but his name was mentioned and then there was never anything serious. He's, and, and in the end, he stayed at home, right? Yeah. Stayed in Los Angeles and came to USC and it just, he passes the look test. I mean, he is put together. He's got some athleticism to go with it, but he just hasn't made a major impact now he's played a little more recently because of the injury we just mentioned Mm -hmm. so that may open up an opportunity for him to play you know double digit minutes in this game uh but we don't know yet
1: well it's a classic move right like you have the beautiful uh person on your arm so that you you're more attracted to people who (laughs) are
0: To other people. Right. You just, right. Yeah. You. And that is how a lot of this stuff. Honest to God. Oh, sure. It happens all the of time. Of course, It does. Right.
1: Oh, do go after him. He must be pretty good. Right. Or whatever.
0: Right. 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 Yeah. Right. 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 And Michigan State is definitely in that category that it having a Michigan State offer is seen as a high status move. And and so it just felt like that's the way it was.
1: With this, maybe they need to change the fight song to the Duke of the West. You think that'd be work for the Michigan State yeah. fight song to name another school in yeah. your fight song. Uh, um, right, go, going on to Malik Thomas, 6'5 sophomore wing, averaging two and a half points a game on 37, 26, and 74 shooting. He plays about eight minutes a game. Uh, so it, it, like you mentioned, these are we're now getting to the, the very end of the bench and whether these people will even see,
0: yeah. And the question becomes, do these guys even see the floor? Because they don't, and from this point forward, you're not talking about guys that have played in every game either. And again, given that it's a tournament game, I suspect tighter the, branch, yeah. uh, yeah, the rotation will be tighter unless something unusual like foul trouble happens and, and has an
1: impact, you know, speaking of foul trouble, Harrison Hornery, 6'10", 230 pounds, sophomore from Australia. Uh, he, uh, Will probably just come out again if there's foul trouble. He's Averaging one point four points a game and a rebound a game in about seven minutes.
0: Yeah, all right, same deal. You know, foul trouble has an impact, maybe.
1: Yeah, and finally, Isaiah Sellers, six five, freshman wing, and much like uh, Hornery, uh, probably won't play. But if he does, it'll be very sparingly. Right. All right. So let's go to the five keys of the game.
2: Uh, brought to you by Nudge Printing. We'll be right back right after this. That's indeed.com slash blue sports and support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast indeed.com slash blue wire sports terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed between the kids being home and hosting everything in our house gets used up in summer
0: with Instacart. I can save money by stocking up on all my favorite summer brands. I save time by getting everything delivered in as fast as an hour. And I save myself a sink full of dirty dishes by stocking up on paper plates for the annual summer cookout. Save more on summer essentials? Spend more time enjoying summer. Add summer to cart. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
1: Okay, the five keys of the game brought to you by Nudge Printing. Again, make sure you check out Nudge Printing at nudgeprinting.com. They sell fantastic Spartan apparel both t-shirts, hoodies. Uh, they have all kinds of other things like decals for your computer, for your car, for your wall, cornhole. And they also have other schools. So if you don't want Michigan State stuff or you want some Michigan State stuff and something else because you live with someone from another school, you can get their stuff as well. Whether it's Western Michigan, Eastern Michigan, Central, Saginaw Valley, Grand Valley, you can get all that kind of stuff. You can head on over to nudgeprinting.com. And as being a listener to this show, you get 20% off your purchase by typing in Final Four into the coupon code. And so, again, that's at nudgeprinting.com. You can't go wrong with the stuff. It's fantastic, high quality stuff run by two Michigan grads, i sorry, Michigan State grads in the state of Michigan, Ooh, where they produce everything. Yeah. That's what I meant to say. They're, <laughs> they produce everything in the state of Michigan. Sorry, Gabe Brittany. <laughs> I apologize. Uh, and also, if you haven't already had a chance before going to the, the keys of the game, Make sure you fill out your bracket. We have a bracket contest uh, with our show. You can go to T-F-F-I-N-O-T-S at just the ESPN site. And so you can just type that into the search bar. You'll find our bracket. The top three get a prize, uh, hoodies, and some t-shirts through Nudge Printing. And so uh, Gabe's on there and actually Kurt Stauffer from Brothers Just Your Gutters. Rod's picks are going to be up there when he finally puts them up there. Mine are up there. Uh, So if you want to know what not to pick, check out my brackets, and that's probably what you should do. All right. So five keys to the game. We'll start with the first one, which is the one that has been on there for like two and a half months now, threes. Uh, so Michigan State obviously relies a lot on the threes. They only hit three against Ohio State in, in decent volume of 17. And that was one of the reasons they were unsuccessful in beating the Buckeyes in the Big Ten tournament. And then also, uh, you know, are they going to be able to get the threes? And will USC, which tends to let people shoot threes, will they allow Michigan State to get those
0: off at a high clip? Right. And I think those are, those are, big questions. And if USC isn't doing that, well, then at least in theory, that should then make them more vulnerable to Michigan state, getting the ball into the lane. If USC plays this conventionally the way they typically have this year, then I would expect it's going to be difficult for guys like AJ and Tyson to really make a lot of hay at the rim. Yeah. I think, you know, this team is a legit shot blocker down there. They pack it in. It's going to be hard turning the corner on these guys anyway. But then if you do, you're likely going to be met with more resistance immediately. So what that means is Michigan State has to get enough penetration to force some defensive distortion and then kick the ball, spraying it to their shooters it's yeah, they've got to be productive from three, right? It's just how it is. I don't in, in any game you go into it for Michigan state, knowing that that's the case in a game like this one, against this kind of opponent. I think it's especially so, so they need to take advantage of it as a corollary to that. If USC does in fact play mostly drop coverage, that's also going to mean that mid range shots are probably going to be available. Right. Um, so guys like hogard, walker, hauser and again maybe maybe the the screener as well mm-hmm. if it's hauser or hall yeah. have to be capable of hitting those shots cuz they will be there but but the threes especially msu's got to be productive they got to be dialed in
1: so the second key to the game is on the other end of the floor, Michigan State's defense has not been as good. They have to have better defensive connectivity, which you had mentioned earlier in the, the show. Yeah. Uh, not a great offensive team, but it's definitely one that's capable and so can challenge Michigan State. And, you know, they have to – we've definitely seen them play better defense this season, and they just the last two weeks it's sort of fallen apart in in conjunction with their offense playing better.
0: It, it – you know – there's a reason why Mike Garland was part of like nine million final four staffs, <laughs> right? Cause he probably knows a few things and he mentioned this to us. I think both times we had him on in maybe different contexts, but I'm pretty sure he brought it up both times. I know he brought it up after the Iowa game that sometimes getting on a heater offensively, um, can do damage to your defensive execution, that it becomes easier for guys to get into something of a shootout mentality. Right. And and that's what you don't want and what you can't afford. Michigan State has been a much better defensive team than they've been lately at different points of the season. I do think part of it is, although not the entirety of it, by any means, is related to Malik Hall. So that's why you're hoping that Malik is feeling well mm-hmm. and is able to make, at the very least, make a defensive impact because, truthfully, this is a game where it will be important if for no other reason than USC just has tremendous size. And so having a guy like Malik at 6'8", who can defend, you know, bigger guys that can still do things on the perimeter, that matters. That, that could be very, very useful. Um, but whatever it comes down to Michigan state has got to be more connected than they've been. And I think you made a really good point by bringing up guys like Uless, there have been times this year. It hasn't always been the stars, but sometimes it's been these guys you don't expect very much from who have been able to really make a living just taking Michigan state off the dribble. Mm-hmm. And even in moments where, and against guys, you wouldn't expect to see it. We saw it against Ohio state, right? Yeah. Thornton Bruce Thornton. Yeah. Now now, I don't think USC has anybody quite like a Thornton. He's a different kind of player, but, um, they've certainly got guys that are physically capable of doing damage one-on-one. And so guys like Hogard, Aikens, Walker, all very capable defensive players we know that but those guys are going to really have to step up and meet the challenge because this team will look to test you in that way they're going to I mean I would count on it it's not going to be as I said it's not going to be heavy ball movement you know swing the ball around side to side and generate an open look that way they'll do some of that but there will also be a fair amount of guys just squaring up their defender and going and trying to take them. And, and that's where your individual defense has to be on point and your connectivity has to be there as well. So guys are in good help position. They're, they're squeezing gaps, you know, making it harder to get the angle. Um, and, and we'll just see if Michigan state's able to execute better than they have been lately yeah
1: that's what that's when uh when coach garland was talking to us about the Penn State game and also the Iowa game the Penn State game their gap defense was good and in the yep. in the uh, Ohio State game it was bad <laughs> And so you know like Gordon yeah. guys and likely could get in the lane and do and even suing to some extent could could do some damage
0: that's the thing I mean everybody can usually see when it's the primary, the on ball defender, when he takes a bad angle, let's say. Yeah. And so the guy he's guarding can beat him. And that's, that's a problem obviously, but Michigan state it's defense. It's, it's why people sometimes talk about it as a man defense with a lot of zone principles (laughs) and what they mean by making it very simplistic. What they mean by that is what we're calling help that, You may be guarding somebody else, but you still have responsibilities to a guy you're not guarding if that guy's defender gets beat, you know? Um, So that's got to be, and that's when I, when I use a word like connectivity, that's part of what we're talking about here, that they're connected, that they're, they're dialed into each other and in position and in the right frame of mind to be able to provide help when it's needed. So that, okay, the, the guy took a bad angle, but I'm still in position to cut this off and not commit a foul. You know? Yep. That's what's got to be there.
1: The third key to the game is the glass. USC, we mentioned earlier, they're not a very good rebounding team. They're poor <laughs> defensively. They're actually really bad in de- on defense and offense. They're not very good. They're just kind of average. Michigan State has proven to be pretty good at defensively. Most of the time, not always. And offensively, they're mostly not very good, but occasionally they're really good. So, you know, this is gonna be kind of an interesting matchup to see what happens, which teams show up.
0: Yeah. Um, although Michigan State has had issues at times in defensive rebounding, I'm inclined to think it will not be an issue here. Um, I it's it's possible. But I think unlikely because um, I don't think it's USC's mentality and they just don't have a track record of doing it effectively. And I don't see, you know, when I think back to the times when Michigan State's had a problem. So you think back to the Michigan game. Well, what ended up really hurting them was when Michigan went with their too big look and you had Terrace Reed out there yeah. just cleaning house. USC doesn't have a Terrace Reed to bring off the bench and play at the four. So You know, Iowa was a team that rebounded well all year long on the offensive end. It was not out of character for them to do well, you know, and they did in that game in Iowa City. So Rutgers, we know what Rutgers (laughs) is built on, right? So the, the few times that it's been a problem, there's been an easily identifiable reason for why it was happening. I don't see those kind of things popping up in this game. Sure. That's my, that's my assumption. The question to me is the other end. USC, as you mentioned, is not – they're really a bad defensive rebounding team, really bad. We have seen Michigan State very occasionally do MSU-style work on the offensive boards. Rarely, but it's happened. If there's ever a time for it and a matchup, for it, this would be the one. So the question to me is, does this end up just being a push because neither team can really get much done on the offensive boards? Is that the kind of game we have, which is entirely possible? Or is Michigan state able to get back to its program DNA for at least one afternoon and really take advantage of a team that's really weak in that area? And if they can, it's a huge deal because extra baskets are going to be critical. You know, this is a seven, 10 game. So you expect it to be close. I'm not going into this, expecting either team, you know, to win by 15. They could, but I'm not expecting that. So if you expect it to be a tight game, well, Hey, you know, an extra six points on the offensive boards could be critical.
1: Sure. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, like you said, seven, 10, eight, nine matchups, you they're designed. They're basically not, there's no upset really. I mean, a 10 over seven
0: is really, they're almost. Equally- the, seven, the seven, the seven wins about 60% of the time in these matchups, which is about right. Historically. Yeah. Um, I think, I think a a number I saw today that actually had Michigan state as th- having the 20th best chance to win the national title for whatever <laughs> that's worth um, had Michigan state, like I think a 56% chance to win this game. That's that's very much in line with historical seven tens.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, who has a 0% chance of winning the national championship this year, you know, Wisconsin records in Michigan. Um, so uh, go on to the fourth key to the game is AJ. So, We've talked about AJ a lot, is that he's the, the, uh, he's what stirs the drink, right? Uh, but I think, you know, one thing that we did, I don't, we, I think you addressed it briefly, but I was at the game in, in, uh, Chicago at the United Center, and I was sitting behind the yeah. bench. And so I could not see what's going on. I could just see that, you know, AJ sitting on the bench. And occasionally maybe I noticed that Izzo was sitting next to him, but I was mainly paying attention to what's going on the, the floor. But there was a lot of things that went around on social media. Even AJ was addressed about the fact that, Izzo was talking to him, you know, and uh, for quite a p- period of time. And it looked like AJ was ignoring him, or sort of pouting, or uh, not, various, not ignoring, but not ignoring, or like upset that he's being talked to, or something like
0: that. I guess uh, not, not dialed in the way he should be. Um, uh, kind of all right, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, that's what it looked like. Right. Um. I will give AJ this. He was asked about it this week. He addressed it. I liked his response. But, you know, the other thing that's fair to say is here we are near the end of his third season. And we're still having these moments. Um, If you think about the look, point guard is a notoriously hard position to play anywhere, but especially at Michigan State. Tom Izzo puts so much on his point guards right. that it is tough to handle. And guys typically take a while to adjust to the demands. But if you think about guys like Cassius Winston, Denzel Valentine, um, even Keith Appling, Kalen Lucas, Drew Knightzel, Mateen Cleaves, They were not having as many of these moments by the end of their junior season as we're seeing with A.J. I'm not trying to knock A.J. It's just a fact, you know. I think this year has seen real improvement from him in giving Izzo what he wants, playing the way Izzo needs him to play. It would be totally unfair to not acknowledge that. A.J. has been a good player for Michigan state this year. And I think is unquestionably been their most important player. Yeah. Because, you know, and, and I had this conversation on the Spartan Mag board today and I think I, I think through the course of it, I got to articulate fully why that is because someone I was having the discussion with was saying, um, you know, Michigan State is, yeah, AJ's important and all that, but isn't it really about the guys around him that, you know, the team just falls off a cliff when he's not on the floor? How can that be all on him? Like, okay. The point I think it was trying to be made was maybe it's the guys around him aren't as good as what we're normally used to seeing. I don't think it's a pure talent issue. I think what it is, is this it's, it may be some talent, but it's also, the strengths and weaknesses of this particular team, which doesn't necessarily mean overall how quote-unquote good you are. It's just what kind of player are you? Michigan State is used to scoring in a variety of ways. We are used to seeing a healthy transition game. We are used to seeing a lot of points off the offensive boards. We're used to frequently having a reliable low-post presence. None of those things exist in any real manner right. for this team. Right, right. What this team does have is exceptional shooting. It's one of the best deep shooting teams Tom Izzo's ever had. And they also, for, for all the crying about taking, you know, hard twos, they can hit those shots with some regularity as well. Also, yeah. So those things exist. That kind of team, I would submit, probably requires more out of the floor leader, out of the orchestrator, the guy who's going to be the playmaker than a team that, you know, maybe can do things in other fashion to get points on the board. So regardless, the reality is we know by now, cause we're almost through this season, this team offensively cannot really get it done unless AJ is playing well. So he's got to play well, that's it. I mean, if he's, if he's moving the ball around and he's got Michigan state's offense played dynamically and they just miss shots okay that happens so be it we've seen that before we'll see it again yeah but that, that's not what's typically happened what's typically happened is you're not getting near the best out of him when msu's offense goes into funks and it just can't happen in this game can't happen he's also got to be really smart in terms of how he approaches this game. Because again, if USC plays it the way I expect them to the opportunities for him to go all the way to the rim and finish are not going to be prevalent might happen once in a while, but this is not a game for AJ at least to come into it thinking I'm going to take over. I'm going to take these punks to the basket and just finish all day long. I don't think that's going to be there. What he's got to do is make the right decisions in those situations penetrate, and then look to create, look to kick to somebody, you know, create chances for other people. Right.
1: And I was going to say with AJ, I feel like there are games that he has where he starts off poor and then picks it up and plays well in the second half or even the second half of the first half. Mm-hmm. For sure. But I've for not sure. seen a game where he starts out strong and doesn't finish strong. Like, you know, when he has a good game right from the start. He's just going to be good that whole game. I, I can't think of a time when he he wasn't like when he's really locked in. It seems like he's, it's almost like when he decides to get locked in that he's good the rest of the game, but it just
0: depends when that is. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. And, and look, the other thing you could say in his favor, which is totally fair is he has shown a resiliency when he's had oh, yeah. a bad period, he's responded. So can you count on that happening? Let's hope so.
1: You could say that uh, about, as the I team. say, I think
0: he. Right, I mean that, it, that too. It, I mean, that, but that's absolutely. probably because it's
1: him, absolutely. right? In many respects, right? They they get they're, yeah. they're down on the mat. They got, you know, can they come back and yeah. be able to, and get the win? They have to get like at Penn State way back in December. Those yep. are instances absolutely. where right,
0: now, all year long. You're right. You're right. And you know they uh, they had that horrible gut punch at Iowa, and they come back off the mat and they go on the road and they beat Nebraska and then they come home and they handle Ohio state. Yep. And you know, you were impressed with the response to uh, maybe another team folds. Yep. You know, Um, they've had those moments all year long, but um, so much is on him. And, and that's just how it is. What I liked about the way he talked at least this week is he accepts that or he seems to, Um, but you know obviously that all needs to translate to the way he plays
1: yeah he's i mean you can spend a lot of time talking about it because i mean in many respects like you said he's the the floor general when the general's not playing well and directing traffic then they're just in tr- they're in trouble they don't operate efficiently
0: they don't have again it's a team that's so jump shot oriented that they need somebody who can force defenses to move simply put yeah and he's the guy they've got who can do that right now I think in time Trey Holloman has that ability I'm not down on Trey Holloman's future but for right now Trey has maybe not been quite as advanced as we'd hoped earlier this year at being able to give Michigan State some of that primarily it's because teams don't respect him as a scorer right he's gun shy you know so they don't they don't guard him that way and that makes it harder for him to be able to create for anybody else tyson can do it at times but tyson tyson is a really really good secondary playmaker he's a guy who can make smart decisions is generally going to make the right decision with the ball but he doesn't have the vision or the creative sense that aj has there's a difference Yeah, totally and when you're playing him in that role, you maybe don't have him oriented as much as a scorer, and that's not good because Michigan State needs him to score. So the, these are the things that factor in. So there really isn't another option. Rare, By the way, I'd point out, rarely is there such an embarrassment of riches that you have that. <laughs> if you think about it, you know, when Michigan State if, if they didn't have Denzel Valentine, did they have anybody who could even remotely simulate what he meant to that team? Of course not. You know, when they had Draymond Green, did they have anybody who could know you typically, you count yourself very for, fortunate if you've got one and Michigan state has one, he's just got to be that guy. Most he's got to answer the bell. And he hasn't always done that. So that's the concern.
1: Finally, the environment is the fifth key to the game. So we know, obviously, game's being played in Columbus. It's Big Ten country, and um, it's, uh, it's on a Friday, and it's also at noon. USC, of course, California. It's a three-hour time change. It's not in their usual environment to play out in, you know, Ohio. Uh, and so is that going to be an advantage? I mean, you'd suspect there to be a lot more Michigan State fans. If you look at the pod, it's going to be Marquette, uh, Michigan State, USC, uh, was it Arkansas? Vermont? Or no, Vermont. Not, Vermont. Yeah. And what's the team in that Purdue's, Purdue's pod? It's Purdue will be there. So it'll be other uh, Big Ten it's, team.
0: It's Purdue,
1: Purdue, Memphis, Memphis
0: and FAU, uh, Florida Atlantic, and whoever Purdue yeah, plays, like,
1: whatever directional school it is. Uh, right. So, so anyway, so there, you suspect? I would expect the Purdue fans to generally be cheering for Michigan State. May not be the case, but probably. Uh,
0: uh, <laughs> yeah. I, look. I think, look, the the bottom line line is Michigan State should have a very strong turnout, and they're going to have a big advantage versus USC in that department. Is it going to feel like a home game for Michigan State? No, I'm not quite ready to go there, but they're going to have a a decided advantage. This is not being played at Value City. This game is being played at Nationwide Arena, which is where the Blue Jackets play. So Michigan state doesn't have the advantage of saying, well, this is a building we play in every year, right. You know, or nearly every year. Um, so that's not the case, but still the, the travel is probably the biggest thing to me. It's an easy travel for Michigan state. It's coming across three time zones. If you're USC and it being the earliest game, didn't do USC any favors. Now I think you're right. As I'm thinking about it, they probably will get to Ohio at some point on Wednesday, to try to, um, yeah, acc- mitigate yeah, acclimate the impact a little bit of that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But it's still tough. It's still tough.
1: Yeah. It's always easier going West than it is than going East. Yeah. Yeah. That's always a travel.
0: Yeah. Th- those are the things that I think are subtle. And, you know, we always talk about it. You know, the worst case scenario for Michigan state is always you get, to the big 10 final on Sunday <laughs> yeah. and then you get shipped West for a Thursday game, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, that's rough. It's not quite that bad for USC because like Michigan state, they were done with their conference tournament on Friday. I believe it was, maybe it was even Thursday. Um, but they were done early and, you know, as we say, they, they got till Friday to play this game. So it's not quite as rushed, but it's still, you know, a, a lot of travel for them, an unfamiliar environment, and in a situation where they're going to be playing in front of a crowd where they're not going to have many people behind them. There, that's just the reality. USC is not a basketball school to begin it with. It isn't. And then, yeah, <laughs> and then that far from home, uh, they're really just not going to have any fans. But um, Michigan State will, and so they're going to have to. They're going to have to overcome some things. Yeah. And that I wouldn't, I wouldn't be thrilled if I were them. I also, and, and some things got to happen for it to matter, but the team, the the coach that should really be pissed off about this in my mind is Shaka smart. Um, you know, he's a number two seed and granted it's still relatively close to Milwaukee, but, and Marquette has a good fan base, but I'm sure they'll travel for this team. but. Man, that's a scenario if you're playing Michigan, St- Michigan State in a second round game in Columbus, you're not happy about that. You would have rather have seen teams who were not from the Midwest exclusively. So you have a really decided home court advantage because I would expect a second round game against Marquette in that building at worse will be 50-50. Oh, yeah,
1: Won't it wouldn't be at that. Worst. It'll be much better than that.
0: Right. Michigan State probably has an advantage there, too. Yeah. So it just depends the ferocity with which Marquette people are backing this team, um, but but you get my point. So Absolutely. in this game, though, definitely an advantage for MSU.
1: Right. Well, we can only hope that Michigan State makes it to the second round and beats Marquette or plays Marquette anyway. Uh, and Michigan State is a one point favorite per Ken Palm, so basically a pick 'em, and which is what you'd expect in a seven ten matchup. I think it you know, overall yeah, for seven sure. ten draw. Not a bad draw for Michigan State to get a USC team no. that is a team that you think they could be very competitive with, and I I don't have a lot of confidence in this Michigan State team yet. I am very uh, confident that they could beat them pretty handily. You know, like I you just don't know which team is going to show up. It's really it's really hard to um, I I find this this my problem with the tournament. I was just talking to the N C Tech today, and I get very emotional about this game in the N C tournament. I don't really get too bothered by any game during the. The, certainly not the pre before the Big Ten season starts. Big Ten season a little bit more so. Big Ten tournament, you know, I don't worry too much about it. It's nice when you win them. I guess I I don't you know it's not the end of the world when they lose that game, but I hate the last game because it's, at some point it's the finale of the season, right? You you enjoy the team, right? And this is the last time you get to watch them.
0: And there's also this. There's also the reality that in college basketball, rightly or wrongly you are judged by what happens at this phase, right? right? You know, if you, if you go back to Michigan last year, Michigan had relative to expectations had a terrible year. They had to go on a run late to sneak into the field, uh, after being a preseason top 10 team, you know, it was, it was rough. And yet they, they win a couple games and were competitive in their sweet 16 game before they got beat. And that, I'm not gonna say it covered all sins, but it covered a lot of them. Sure, right? Yeah. and and that is the reality. And if you're if you're Michigan State this year, it was not, I don't think it was quite as rough a year as what Michigan had a year ago, but this was, you know, this was a year where I would say there's once again been a fair amount of fan frustration. Yeah, and a good performance here could make a lot of that irrelevant for most people because you are measured. I mean, what do we talk about the most?
2: Final Four. Michigan
0: State fans. Right. There's a lot of, it's right there in the name of our podcast. Um, <laughs> there, and Tom Izzo has been, well, he's knocking on the door of being the greatest Big Ten coach, meaning in terms of you know victories in the conference, all those types of things, titles in history. And yes, that matters to people too. Certainly matters to me. But again, rightly or wrongly, you're measured by what happens now. Yeah. And I, I do think that it's unfortunate that college basketball has evolved to the point where it's all about this. You can have a team, a team like Purdue as a good example. Purdue has had a fabulous season. All my nitpicking aside, they, you win the Big Ten regular season, you win the Big Ten tournament, you have had a great year. Full stop. Yep. You know, but if they go out in the first weekend, how do you think that team is remembered? Yeah. Failure.
1: Yeah. Right. Mostly
0: failure. Mm-hmm. That, look at the Michigan State team in 2016. Yeah. Denzel Valentine senior year. That team. Now they didn't win the regular season. They finished second because IU had an unbelievably soft schedule. But they finished second in the regular season. They won the Big Ten tournament. They were seen as the hot pick to win the national title going in. They were to the tournament. They were the most entertaining team Tom Izzo ever had to watch, in my opinion. They were just a blast to see them play. And yet they go out in the first game against Middle Tennessee, and that's what people remember. They don't remember the 30-some games before that, which were so much fun. Yeah. The triple doubles success. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, All of it. it Just a fun watch, a ton of success forgotten. All anybody talks about with regard to that team, they might mention Denzel Valentine's individual season, but they'll really obsess about middle Tennessee. Yeah. And I get it. It's, it's what the sport has come to. And it's not just college sports either. It's, you know, in the professional ranks, you have, um, a sport like baseball where, You can have an incredible regular season. And when you play 162 games, what you've done over those 162 games, I think is probably pretty close to accurately describing what you are Mm -hmm. because you've played so many games. But you can have a team, we see it every year now, a team goes and wins 104, 105 games in the regular season. And then they get beat in a playoff series because another team that won 90 games has a couple of hot pitchers and that's it. Season's of failure. It's like the
1: hockey too, you right? Know, you get
0: the hot goalie, same thing. At hot goalie, same thing. Everything is on the postseason. And college basketball, as much as any sport, I think, has, has gotten to that point. So it's understandable why you feel that way. Even beyond just, oh, well, it's because it's the finality that it's over when they lose. That's part of it. But I also think it's because we all intuitively understand That everything that has come up until now, like it or not, is mostly preamble. It's it's doing work to qualify to get to the thing that matters. Exactly.
1: Well, and for for me too, I feel the hardest thing about watching the NCAA tournament games is whatever's happening on the court. I've seen this season, right? If it's a collapse, if it's them, you know, shooting the lights out, playing great for twenty minutes, or whatever part, whatever I'm watching. I've seen this I've seen this play right and you know whatever fast of the game or whatever game during the regular season and so I can immediately think of what happened to that game like oh that's the game they collapsed and lost to Iowa you know giving up 15 points in like 40 whatever you know you all have I'll never feel comfortable in a game until it's over. And uh, Well, not
0: with this team, well, no.
1: God But no. even even any season, there's always some games in February or January where they look like they're terrible. And you're like, how does this team win any games? And then they right. fix it, whatever right. it is, and then they look great. Uh, and then you'll watch a game, and they'll just, during the tournament, they'll have like a five- or six-minute turn. You're like, wow, this this just looks just like they did back in February. This team's done. And then, you know, they turn around or whatever. But that's that's always what I deal with personally. What I, That's what I struggle with because again mainly because of the finality of it right like i've i hate for the season to end at that point too and if i've seen like oh I've seen, I've seen them blow it like this before in the season and i i don't know i mean that's just that well that's what makes it interesting to be a fan of sports like you can i know if i've seen people say they see they they wait to see what the score was and then they'll watch the game like i don't even know i mean i guess you could do it but it doesn't it removes 90% of the joy of winning or what like watching a good performance because the fact that you don't know, right. If you knew the, if you knew how it turned out, right. I don't know. It's never interesting. Right.
0: Right. And so, um, yeah, we're for, <laughs> we're here now we're, we're to the part where yes. it all matters and everything's riding on it. And, and I think, you know, the other thing too here from a Michigan state centric perspective is, Um, and I don't think this way, but I know too large in my opinion of a segment of the fan base does there's this whole deal about, it's been forever since we've gotten out of a first week. Yeah.
1: I mean, I can barely, I was way back in my mid forties tournament runs,
0: (laughs) right? Two tournament runs. (laughs) Yeah. And, and granted, nothing's given, nothing's assured that they do it this year. They could easily lose this game. So it's a one-point spread, you know? Yeah. But uh, but people have some perspective. And, and it, would, it, would, it would also be unforgivable if we did not note that, and I think we've talked about it in passing, but we should acknowledge it fully, the enormity of it, that this is the 25th year in a row, of course, that Michigan State has made the tournament under Tom Izzo. That is a record for a coach, um, an individual coach programs have a Kansas is a program has a longer streak right now, I believe. Yes. 33 um, but, 30 uh, 33 games, at but not, but not, but not Bill, not Bill self. Some of that was with Roy Williams. So an unbelievable, I mean, again, I, I think this goes back to what I was just getting at way too much of the fan base just hears that and they just, oh, that's great, man. Way to go is, and then just kind of shrug their shoulders and have no concept of the true enormity of what that means, that nobody else, nobody else has ever had this. He just broke a tie with Krzyzewski. Think about that. Mike (laughs) Sheshewski couldn't do this. John Wooden didn't do it. Different era. Very different era. And more challenging to do it. But I'm saying name your Bob Knight, Dean Smith, name your legend of the game. They have not done this. And and that that has to mean something. And I'm not, I'm not trying to offer a preemptive excuse because I think Michigan State has as reasonable a chance to get through this weekend as I could have asked for. Um, and if they don't, it will be disappointing because I think they're capable of it. But regardless, the, 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 the main, the, the first thing is getting in. Yeah. And that's what this guy does. Whatever the challenges are, whatever whatever he's got to work with in a given season, he gets in. And so Michigan State fans, for now, literally a generation, have been so spoiled by the idea that there's never even been a year where you, Michigan State fans went into Selection Sunday wondering. Now, maybe two years ago, we should have been wondering more <laughs> yeah, than we right, were, yeah. but, we, but we weren't because nobody had them in the play-in game. Um, Other than that, it's never been close, never been a close call.
1: Yeah, that... It's amazing. It's an amazing run. It's amazing history, and it's uh, and it and it'll be it'll be sad when it comes to an end because it will at some point. I mean, it has to. You can't possibly maintain this sure. sort of level of success, even even Izzo's. You know, struggled at times. Every couple of years, you have to f- fight like heck to get in. You know, like the like a couple of years ago. But I guess we just we can we can just put all that back, and that can just be called BC before COVID. And so those are just a different time, and now we're we're after that. So now we have to start a new legacy. But this seems a, it seems a cycle for Michigan State, right? It's, for what long time is every four years, right? They were in the in the final four or some, you know.
0: They've had one some iteration one of that pretty
1: much, pretty much, class, not always. They
0: had one, one class missed on that. It was the class of fourteen. Right. Uh, is that right? Could be, yeah, because they made it in
1: 15, so it probably would be, yeah. Yeah,
0: class of 14. Yeah, yeah. the class of 14. So it 09 was um, and then 15. Keith, a- Keith Appling, Keith Appling Adrian Payne. Yeah. Never made They got to an Elite Eight, they never made it to a Final Four. They're the only ones yeah so far.
1: That's, I mean, I. I
0: that is an incredible, it's, incredible. It's hard to
1: comprehend. In, I mean, it was. Itself. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I guess you could say they haven't been to 25 straight top 64 teams in the. <laughs> <laughs> I, please, please, no, just, uh, just picking fights now. Yeah, <laughs>
0: um, but it, it needs to be all of that needs to be understood. So we we all acknowledge, hey, this is the great time for the grading. You know, yeah, this is it's how the sport works. Tom Izzo understands that better than any of us. Before
1: I think before it. we did, I think even bef- I don't think people had as much emphasis back in when he started his run in the '90s and 2000s. I don't think there was much focus on this sort of as the you know, streaks and stuff. I, I that was my impression. But oh you
0: know, not not streak, not streaks. But no, like just for you sure, know, making they, Final
1: Fours and stuff. I don't think people had as much of an emphasis on that sort of as like a as like an objective. Before it was just like
0: Some some schools, you know, no it did happen. Dean Smith had and I forget I forget what the number was, but Dean Smith had a phenomenal run of at least getting to a sweet 16, like, I don't know how many years right. in It yeah, was a yeah, right. crazy number. Right. There were occasionally, obviously, John Wooden with consecutive yeah. national championships will never be touched. You know, there's some of these things that existed, but a lot of those things were done in a what I would argue was a less competitive period. Sure. Because you didn't have as much money in the sport. You didn't have as many schools looking to seriously compete. Um, The talent pool was not as widely dispersed as it is now. So, for a variety of reasons, it, I'm less impressed by that stuff. Tom Izzo's this this thing is a huge deal. People do not realize. You know, who does realize other coaches? That's why John John Calipari coming out and tweeting about it and acknowledging what Izzo has accomplished. And I didn't see if anybody else followed. (laughs) I thought that it was, you know, John Calipari is going to make me like him before it's over. Yeah. Um, But, uh, well, I mean, that was a hell of a thing. Oh, yeah. For another elite coach to acknowledge the enormity of it. That's what I mean. It takes a guy like that to understand. Because John Calipari knows he has immense talent every single year. And he hasn't been able to do this. He'll never be able to. At this he's point. had. A, he won't have. A he's had long a couple. Enough. Well, no, yeah. no, no, no. He won't. He won't touch it. He's our, He's had a couple of years at Kentucky where he didn't make yeah. it. wasn't just one. It's hard to do. Duke missed right. It, I mean, almost yeah. impossible to do. Duke missed two years ago. Yeah. So that's that's what it takes. It takes guys in those positions to really understand it. So please, people listening to this, do not lose sight of that, regardless of what happens. We're all hoping and we all think that Michigan State has a real chance to move through this game, hopefully move through another game and then see where they are. But um, regardless, just getting to this point every single year is crazy. I saw Mateen Cleaves had a a tweet. He had a video out where he was reflecting on how he felt because he was a freshman on the last Michigan state team that didn't make the tournament. You got to go all the way back to Mateen (laughs) Cleaves first year. And they were a team that it looked at a certain point, like they might have a chance and then they weren't able to do it. They ended up in the NIT and he described, you know, the selection Sunday having a feeling he was sick to his stomach and he vowed he was never going to feel that way again. And of course he didn't. And the program hasn't, but it's again, just try to, have the perspective to understand the enormity of this stuff and how, how good we have had it because those of us say this occasionally here, those of us of a certain age understand full well through experience. It is not this way. This is unique. It doesn't work this way. Other places with other coaches, even the great ones, it doesn't work this way. And yet it has in East Lansing. So appreciate it, cherish it, enjoy the hell out of this game. And hopefully this whole weekend and maybe some weekends to come. Yeah. But um, just understand that. I wonder what that's even, what is even the second
1: longest streak in the Big Ten. I don't think it's more than like four years or something.
0: Uh, well, Michigan is out. They were working on a streak of, I think, six or seven. Wisconsin
1: missed a couple years ago, I think. And Ohio State. Well,
0: Wisconsin out. missed this year, so they're done. And Ohio State Ohio missed State's this year. Out.
1: Yeah. Illinois has made it three um, years in a row now. Purdue's probably per, made it for quite a d-
0: while, but Purdue, I like they Purdue it at some might point. have a decent streak. Well, they were probably gonna miss it in the COVID. the year that got wiped out by COVID. So they got saved by that. Right. Um, but they probably have I'm gonna guess they probably yep, have a probably streak right. of maybe seven or eight. They'd probably be second, but it's so—it's such a huge gap <laughs> yeah, that it's not.
1: It's hard to comprehend. I mean,
0: theoretic, theoretically, Matt Painter might coach long enough, but I'm not betting on him touching the streak. It's no, he's, it's
1: he's one big one, guy, injury, one
0: injury away from yeah, one the whole injury, thing falling out on done, itself, yeah, the you know? roof co-
1: collapsing on that. And
0: that's the thing. And Izzo's had the seasons, partially this season, where yeah. he's had those injuries, and that's the thing. He's had all the things that can happen. He's had injuries. He's had, you know, crazy ESPN manufactured outrage. (laughs) He's had, um, you know, horrible events on a campus, all of these things totally outside the sphere of basketball that have happened. And yet like clockwork come selection Sunday, there they are.
1: You know how many more Final Fours they'd have if they had uh, better trainers without all these foot injuries? I, boy, I can't even imagine yeah. what it would be. Yeah.
0: Uh,
1: yep. yeah, sarcasm aside. So, uh, we look forward to getting back to talking to you in a couple of days. Well, actually, we have a special interview. We're going to uh, we'll come out before the the game against USC, but we'll be back after USC for a post-game analysis and hopefully a preview for the next game against either Vermont, the Catamounts or uh, Marquette Eagles. Uh, so Tune in then again if you've not yet signed up for the Final Fours on the schedule bracket challenge. Excuse me, uh, go to tffinots at espn for that. Look for that group. It's open. You can sign up there. Please only you know enter one time, only one bracket, please. But you do have to set up a free account through ESPN because I'm far too lazy to set up my own bracket service to for this. Was what is use ESPN's. Uh, there's prizes with through Nudge Printing there, and you'll find all of our picks there as well. You can do a better job predicting then than, well you'll definitely beat me I'm always like one of the worst so that should be an easy thing for you to do uh, and then uh, make sure you continue to share the show with your friends check out Nudge Printing for all your Michigan State apparel at nudgeprinting.com 20% off if you enter Final Four into the coupon code if you've got to work in the West Michigan area make sure you get a hold of Kurt Stauffer and his friends at the Brothers Just Two Gutters and I think that's pretty much it so until next time the Final Four is on the schedule go green
2: Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.